Ash Report. I know you've been dying without us. Sorry for the long delay, but we were being irresponsible and fucking around, essentially. Doing other shit on our hiatus. I was being super responsible over hiatus. Yeah? Just not Slash Report responsible. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) No comment. Um... Moving onward and upward. Guys, welcome to season two of Slash Report. I have to say, I'm a little surprised that we haven't, like, failed out of doing this podcast yet. (laughs) Me too. I really thought that we would make it, like, five episodes and then be like, and something else. Yeah, exactly. Like, both of us are kind of quitters at heart. (laughs) We have, like, the attention span of, like, a gnat. So this is kind of surprising to both of us. Yay. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) So MK, we did promise, and we have been basically forbidding ourselves from discussing our many, many, many and sundry feelings about Sherlock since the second series aired, and now we can finally, finally talk. Holy shit, Sherlock season two. Oh my god, I just, I had all these feelings, and people would be like, hey, what'd you think of this? And I would be like, I can't talk about it, because I need to save all my feelings for a podcast, and if I talk about it now, I'll lose them. I'm really sorry. It's true. It's like, we were the most, we were the most emotionally constipated people ever for the entire second series run. I wrote my, like, first episode overview, and then I couldn't do it for two or three, because I was like, I can't. If I do... All of my feels will have already been spent. And then, like, what will I, like, vomit onto the slasher for it? Nothing. You would vomit nothing. You would just be dry heaving. And that's a disappointment. Exactly. I would just be dry heaving, like, the absence of feelings. Because I would spent them all on yeah. slash port. What a tragedy. Um, so, obviously, we're going to devote a significant chunk to discussing... Reichenbach at the end of this episode but let's start with if you overall call second season better worse same than first season quality wise quality wise I'd say it's about the same I mean it has ups and downs right yeah there are things that I'm like that was ridiculous but there was no overtly racist episode this season (laughs) which was great that was always my that's always like a good thing yeah when they're not overt racism an episode there's some racism but it's it's sherlock holmes guys this was written when racism was totally normal (laughs) i have to say the really funny thing about blind banker going back to first season and like the best episode of tired racism and confusion of all time is that i remember when i was watching the episode i was like there were two things that stuck out to me like number one that lady had the worst fake chinese accent of all time like, I was listening to her and I was like, oh my god, she sounds like me when I try to speak with a Chinese accent. Because I don't have one and I don't know how to fake it properly either. Like, I just sound like I'm faking a Chinese accent. And number two, I just, I know that this is like the last thing that anyone cares about in terms of factuality. But like, nobody lives in the buildings above the stores in Chinatown in London. It's like one tiny ass street and they're like offices for acupuncture clinics and shit like that up there. Or you nobody go upstairs and it's dim sum. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're, they're not apartments. You can't like... Nobody lives in... <laughs> Never mind. I just I just remember, like, watching that and being like, what? Seriously? Like, you guys live here. You should know this. <laughs> but it doesn't make it cool for the plot. Well, but all the real estate is meant for overpriced tofu. Like, not people. Like, I bet you Chinatown would be hella expensive to live in because it's right off of fucking Charing Cross Road and, like, a 10-minute walk to the National Gallery. It'd yeah, be- yeah, it would. It would be insanely expensive to live in. 
fail fact fail but that's like blind banker so that whole episode was a fail it was a whole episode yeah i mean the component parts of it were really good to me like i enjoyed finding out random elements from that episode but like the whole thing was not good for me i liked meeting sebastian and like getting a glimpse of what sherlock was kind of like when he was younger and some of the gayness Um, was good for me yeah i also enjoyed like random sword fight in the beginning like i don't know why but i like things blowing up in swords but as, as a whole it didn't work, which is sort of the way I felt about Scandal in Belgravia as well. Really? Yeah. Because I I skimmed your episode review. I was like, I can't I can't read this yet because again feelings. Yeah, you're gonna want to like write me an email telling me all the ways where I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's good. I mean, we disagree on I would say most things. So yes. It's it's our greatest charm. I did not like Scandal in Bel- Belgravia as an episode on the whole. I liked it. There were a lot of problems with it. Sort of realized that one of my primary complaints, I had two primary complaints with it. Like number one is, I think that that's an episode where if you did not like Irene Adler, you weren't going to like the episode. And I didn't like Irene Adler. Um, And the other thing that I didn't like about it is that it wasn't a mystery. Like there wasn't anything to solve. It just seemed like disparate, weird things happening in nudity and just crazy pantsness happening all over the place. And everything in that episode that was actually interesting to me was the stuff that was relegated to like C plot territory. Like whatever terrorist plot Mycroft had been working on with the plane filled with the dead people. Like that was really that was fascinating, but you got maybe like five minutes total addressing that thing going on. And all of it was about, I don't even know what it was about. It was about like some weird relationship that Irene and Sherlock were developing, which was uh, strange and unlikable, whatever. Um, I did not like it as a whole episode. I loved individual pieces of it. Right. Okay. So here's my thing. I like Irene Adler, but I don't like this Irene Adler. Yes. Um, I think the last time- original book, Irene. Yeah, she's great. But I think the last time that I was visiting you, I bought a Sherlock Holmes box set, which is like one of the gayest Sherlock's ever. Yes. And we watched some of it. And we watched it like the Irene Adler episode where they meet the woman and it's a scandal in Bohemia. Uh-huh. And that Irene Adler was amazing. She's so poised. So poised. She had like her finger in so many, like just like all the pies, like all the fingers and all the pies. She mm-hmm. actually outwitted Sherlock. It was, like, amazing. Like, that was an astounding episode. And I feel... And all of it was so subtly done. Yeah. It was It was just so, like, intricate, and it actually surprised me. Whereas yes. when I watched this new one, it was kind of a letdown, because there's stuff I really love. I love seeing the montage, basically, of Sherlock and John solving all of these cases and becoming stupidly famous. That was very charming, but that has nothing to do with Irene. Nothing to do with Irene. But if we're just going to talk about, like, the episode and how it compares to the previous version of this story. Right. And I love them having to drag Sherlock in basically a a sheet, a bed sheet to the palace. Like that's amazing. All of that stuff, really great. The mental image of that is great also because you have to consider, I bet you they had to carry him out of the flat. Oh yeah, like kicking and screaming like a toddler, throwing a tantrum. Yeah. Like there's there's no other way that you're getting Sherlock to the palace. He's like, fuck the queen. I don't even know what her name is. (laughs) But there are things that, I just wasn't surprised by it. So, I mean, obviously, guys, this whole episode is all the spoilers. When Sherlock has to open the safe, and she's like, I already told him the password. And he's like, no, you didn't. All you did was stand around naked. I was like, guys, it's clearly her measurements. 
and I was in a room full of my friends, and they were like, no, M cluts, that's ridiculous. Two minutes later, measurements. Yes. Like, it's not surprising. Otherwise, why even bother having her come in naked? Like, it just... Well, every- ostensibly, it's because since she doesn't have clothing, he can't read anything off of her, but I find that dubious. Yeah, she could wear almost anything she wants. I'm sure she has a million costumes in her closet the same way that Sherlock does. Like, she could have worn a nightgown and it would have been just as effective. I don't know. I, I, I sort of understood her point about that, where she said the pro- she, there's a line in the episode where she's like, the problem with any disguise is that it, you end up revealing something of yourself when you disguise yourself. And I, sort, I can sort of get behind that because, I don't know, someone made a really good point about how she said that line and then we see the Jim Moriarty character, like his disguise versus Moriarty himself. And you're like, oh yeah, there are things there. Some, there are things there. But at the same time, I thought that was kind of BS, right? Because like, we've all seen ourselves naked. And even though we're not really like Sherlocking our own bodies, like if you look at ourselves, like, and she was wearing earrings, and she had makeup on, like all of that stuff are tells. Yeah, you know, like, if you look at someone, even if you're not Sherlock Holmes, and I was looking at Irene Adler, and I was just looking at her being naked and gorgeous and having the beautiful earrings and the makeup, like, I knew like 14 things about her just looking at her like that. And I'm not Sherlock Holmes. So I thought that that entire argument was really specious. Yeah, I just didn't believe it. And Irene Adler should be smarter than that. But then if you're going to do an episode about Irene Adler, maybe have a lady on the writing team for that one. Just be like, listen, I love Stephen Moffat and I love Mark Gatiss, but they're not great at ladies. (laughs) They, They just aren't. It's I don't know the history with ladies. I know that there's, like, a lot of controversy over that, but I have no concept of their history with, like, writing women. I love a lot of their female characters, but there's a lot of problems, and we'll just leave it at that. So okay. just just bring, like, bring your wife into the writing team for that episode. You're fucking married. I'm sure Sue Virtue actually did, like, contribute, though, is a thing. I guess, but maybe they should have listened to her more. Instead of just having, like, Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss being, like, Teehee bros. <laughs> just, sometimes you need a lady. I'm just going to say it. I don't think that was the problem with this episode, but... I think it was moving a problem. Right. Um, yeah, so I did not like Irene. I, and I think that, like, um, my ultimate read on why I didn't like Irene comes down to the fact that she felt really... Com- like, this is horrible. But she felt so common and boring to me. Like... No, yeah, totally. She wasn't... Why was she such a brilliant antagonist to Sherlock Holmes? Like, she seemed the most common... Like, she's in... I mean, okay, so great. She's a dominatrix, and she knows secrets about people, and she likes, like... She likes teasing people by letting them know that she knows secrets about people. Yeah, but... But First of all, dumb. That's really stupid. Like, why would you do that? And then, secondly, that's so... Like, that's blackmail. That's, like, the most boring, disinteresting crime of all time. Plus... She didn't even know what to do with any of her blackmail material until Jim Moriarty contacted her. Like, I know they're trying to create, like, a through line with Moriarty as the ultimate body, but by doing that, it, like, it makes her seem so disinteresting, you know? Like, it's like, oh, well, okay, you don't even have, like, an interesting crime the way that the cab driver did in the first episode, where he was working for Moriarty, but at least the crime was interesting, right? Right. You also, just, she just seemed completely blah to me. I didn't understand. And I don't, and like, at no point did she show that she was brilliant. And also, oh, I just have to get this out of the way. That password thing is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, I was sitting 
I was like, so basically I landed in San Francisco, was hellaciously sick for like three days, right? And the second day that I was conscious enough to like sit up for longer than 15 minutes, I watched the episode. And I remember like sitting in my bedroom in my parents' new house, like still running a fever, like chugging water and like cold medicine. And the moment that like I am Sherlock thing came on the screen, I was just like, no! Like, yelled it. And my dad ran into the room was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I was just, like, so angry. It was so stupid. Okay, I'm done. Your turn. No, that's that's great. But I would say with the dominatrix thing, this is going to show how sad their job on Irene Adler was this time, but CSI Original Flavor already did this story, and they did it better. Oh, I love Lady Heather. Lady Heather is amazing. If Lady Heather, Wait. that's the level that Irene Adler should be, like, at minimum. Exactly. You know what? Thank you. That's actually a very good point because I think a lot of people disliked Irene Adler because she was portrayed as a dominatrix. I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, like there's, there's even, you can even debate whether or not a dominatrix is truly a sex worker because most professional dominatrixes don't actually have sex with their, with their clients. Like it's just pure power play. It's pure power play. Like the rest of it is like, whatever. I mean, that's open to debate, obviously. But Lady Heather is done with such elegance and control. Whereas, like, Irene just seemed more... Like a loose cannon. Yes! She very much seemed like a loose cannon. If we're supposed to believe that Irene Adler's so smart and so talented and so conniving, there's no way that she would... Like, she's so dominant and she's just like, Hi, Moriarty, I have a bunch of flackmail. I was like, are you dumb? You are clearly dumb. Yeah. Why would you play... Like, why would you play with that? Like, why would you play with fire? I mean, like, what she... In my head, it's like she would have been Lady Heather. She had all of her shit together. And if Moriarty had come knocking on Lady Heather's door, she would have sensed danger and gotten the shit out of it. Like, she wouldn't have, like, no. Like, I will not enter into this because I cannot win. Yeah. Because you're a psychopath. And the other problem is, is that that leaves her really ambiguous as as to, like, what her relationship in the good to evil spectrum is, right? Like, so we know that John is, I would say, like, good. He's clearly on the side of the angels yeah and then we have moriarty who's clearly on the side of like insanity and badness and then we have sherlock who's a force for either but who is a side who's on the side of the angels because he likes the people over there better he's kind of like a neutral good or like chaotic good yeah what the fuck is irene like is she supposed to be she's just dumb is she evil not really is she good definitely not She's not even clever. It just seems very petty and she was very disappointing. She was like two dimensional. Ugh. But one thing I did want to, one thing that I did see a lot post episode that people were complaining about that I wanted to sort of rebut because like, I don't like Irene. Like I didn't, I didn't like this interpretation of the character, Mm -hmm. not because of any, like, I know that a lot of women had like feminist issues with this episode. Like I did not have those issues with this episode because I, I'm not necessarily reading any sort of thesis on womanhood into this episode. Right. Like I think that she's not a commentary on women. I think that Irene is just Irene and she was a poorly written character. But one thing that I did see people complaining about is this idea that she was um, brought to her knees by her sentiment um, and how she was weakened by feelings and how they really hated that. Like, why are women always so hysterical and weakened by feelings? And the thing, I actually wrote this down um, as a rebuttal because I wanted to be like, no, you're feeding into it. And it's just that sentiment is not the enemy. Like, a lot of people seem to be annoyed that Sherlock pointed out she had some. And perhaps I'm misinterpreting 
But I don't think that having feelings should be viewed as a sign of marginalizing a woman's strength or intelligence. And it's the belief that sentiment is a weakness that is the marginalizing factor. Like, it's forcing us to accept a traditionally masculine set of behaviors, like feelings are gross, don't cry, no one will take you seriously if you cry, stop having hysterics, which is a loaded word anyways, in order to be taken seriously, which is fundamentally, at its root, misogynistic, right? Not yeah. because we're avoiding writing stroke portraying behaviors that men have mocked in women, but by not saying that that belief is bullshit, like by not repurposing them as not shameful, not hysterical, not weak, we are by default playing into that hand and strengthening that position. Like, I don't think sentiment is a weakness at all. Like, no matter what Sherlock thinks, sentiment can be a useful tool, even. I mean, it's always been something in my repertoire and nothing that I'm particularly ashamed of or angry about when my fellow human beings of, like, either gender portray or betray, you know? So, like, I just want to, like, put a full stop on that argument. If we're going to skip ahead a little bit, so I think it's in either that episode or a later episode... Mycroft says, like, oh, feelings make people weak, whatever. But in the third episode, the reason that Sherlock does all of these, like, he takes great sacrifice upon himself is because yes. he cares about Mrs. Hudson and John and Lestrade. Like, he cares about yes. them. And that's why he's going to do this insane, really difficult thing in order to protect them. So I think, like... It makes him a better person. Absolutely. Mycroft can say, like, feelings are destroying these people, whatever, but he helps Sherlock with this endeavor. He knows that that's a lie. They're just bullshitting themselves. Yeah. It might take them three episodes to get there, but they get there. Yeah. There's also an interesting... There's also sort of, like, an interesting potential discussion there of how much of that is Mycroft genuinely believing that feelings are not helpful or how much of that is Mycroft like managing Sherlock the way that he's always managed Sherlock yeah he could very well just you know with Sherlock you almost have to play the opposite game possible I mean like it's also like we don't know enough about their childhood or like their younger relationship to figure out like perhaps this is just always that like Mycroft knows that Sherlock is a loose cannon and that he's like easily bored and a little bit crazy and like even though he doesn't appreciate feelings or understand them like he's always been at the mercy of his own so perhaps he's always been like don't have feelings you're not good at it you know who knows like it seems counter to Mycroft's own behavior in the third episode totally okay let's move on to uh the Hound of the Baskervilles right oh although we do have to say ultimately uh good things in oh yeah sorry can I say one bad thing about a scandal in Belgravia so again I was watching this with like no no 10 of my friends or something we're all like crammed around a tv and at the end when Sherlock is in like his ridiculous like middle east gear like saving Irene from being beheaded that village is where my friend Bilal grew up and he's like nobody dresses that way there nobody does that have they ever been there they don't know what they're talking about he was so angry and we were like your friend grew up in Karachi yes that's where he's from and he's like, they just dress the same as us. This is ridiculous. He was so angry. <laughs> so oh, it's beautiful to me. Hands up. Nobody dresses that way there. So beautiful. It is like specifically um, his village. <laughs> I don't think it's a village, dude. I know, but you know. We it's like to make fun of the his hometown. His hometown. <laughs> yeah. God, that's gorgeous. Yeah, um, it was amazing. But in terms of stuff that I really liked about the episode, I thought that 
I loved every, I like loved all of like the weird I loved all the little individual pieces right so like the little the fight that John and Sherlock have before they go to Irene's the first time oh my god I must like a hundred times <laughs> he's like you have to hit me how, how am I gonna make John hit me by being a dick and John is like uh I always hear punch me but usually it's subtext not text yeah and then that John is like that- well if you want me to hit you I'm gonna hit you super hard and repeatedly because you piss me off all the time that scene from the butt like the bottom up shot of Sherlock getting the shit choked out of him where he's like okay I think you've hit me enough and John's like you forgetting I used to be a soldier Sherlock I killed people and Sherlock's like but you're a doctor I had bad days is like the greatest line of all time <laughs> it's also like it's extra good because Martin Freeman is like a whole head shorter than him right so like if you saw that fight at a different level it would just look ridiculous but because we see it from that angle you're like oh shit he's dangerous it's still like the thing is that that fight is still ridiculous because if you can okay think about this context right they're in an alley off of belgravia right which is like one of the most expensive poshest most beautiful elegant areas of london and martin freeman who's like a foot shorter than fucking benedict cumberbatch is just like wailing on his ass like in an alley <laughs> a really nice alley in a really nice alley <laughs> and you, you just have to imagine how that fight finally concludes where she's like stop it stop it i have to go pretend to be a priest now like come on like pulls out his priest collar so good. clearly he just so, had that in his pocket the whole time why wouldn't you why wouldn't you i hope that he carries it with him like at all times just in case he need. like that's like the fast costume you know like his police outfit is at home and like his security outfit and like his doctor outfit those are all at home but he can just keep a priest collar in his pocket and be like let's do this the beautiful thing is that some like sherlock holmes probably has enough costumes that he could make a convincing argument that he has this part-time job as a stripper like nobody has all that shit in their closet except if you need to like take it all off to sexy music you know what i mean the worst stripper of all time most recalcitrant uncooperative like robotic stripper of all time like strippers already make people uncomfortable this would make it like ultimate worst show up like ring the doorbell they open it and he's like did somebody (sighs) order a pizza By the way, you shouldn't eat pizza because you have a heart condition and... (laughs) Someone needs to write this. (laughs) Where for a case, Sherlock has to pretend to be a stripper, but he's so bad. So terrible. Like, he's, like, attractive, and if you make him practice taking off his clothes in a sexy way, he can totally do it, but he thinks it's ridiculous, and he hates everyone, and he's so terrible. I bet you, like, he's sitting there giving someone, like, a lap dance, and the whole time he's like, oh, you have the worst, worst circulation. Your hands are like ice. You're not (laughs) supposed to be touching me anyway. (laughs) Oh, God, this went completely off the rails. Uh, other things that I really liked about the actual episode Scandal in Belgravia and not like our crack fantasy universe where Sherlock is a stripper for some reason. Oh my god, the fact that when they go into Irene's house, they, like Sherlock doesn't even have to tell him anything. John just like, they make eye contact and John's like, cool, I'm gonna go light some shit on fire. <laughs> that was so great! You're like, what?! <laughs> It was kind of, it was like, it was really, it was really interestingly done because I completely forgot 
like in watching the episode that that's what happens in the original story. Yeah. And um, so like John is gone. I was like, oh, presumably to get medical supplies. And then you flash on him. He's like setting some newspapers on fire in the hallway. <laughs> like he's just so like bored about the whole thing. He's like, whatever, just kick Sherlock's ass, burning some shit in the Arson. house, whatever. No big. There's a like, naked lady. Whoops. <laughs> John, your life is so amazing. He's like so blasé, but he's like, mm, yeah, Tuesday. <laughs> And I, the beautiful thing is he probably still tells people that he's boring. He's like, no, I didn't do anything interesting. No. No, I'm nothing happened. Sherlock around for a bit. We went to a house. Yeah. Talked but to nothing. a lady. Yeah. Then we had to call the cops. Stuff. I walked into a room and a lady had her amazing breasts in his face, but... Uh, I don't think we can say those breasts are amazing. When she opened the closet, I could see all of her ribs flex between them because she's so skinny. And I was like, ah! <laughs> Like, I actually made that sound. It was horrifying. <laughs> I was like, listen, if you want to lose some weight and get skinnier, like, you know, whatever. If if that's what's healthy for you, go for it. But don't get to the point where I can see your ribs when you breathe. That's a problem. <sighs> Modern fashion design is meant for people who have the figures of 12-year-old boys, though. So if you want to look good. No, 12-year-old boys, you can't be, like, their ribs don't go like, <sighs> when they breathe. Like, they don't, like, burst out of their chest cavity, basically. Okay, we, can, uh, we can't discuss this. Okay. Right. Anyways, but other things I really loved. It was weird because nobody else felt this way, but I was really mad on behalf of Mycroft. Like, everyone was like, that guy's a jerk. And I was like, he's trying to stop terrorists. Totally. He's, he's totally just doing stop- his job. Like, he's trying to stop people from, like, attacking countries full of live people. And um, they ruined it. Like, the two of them completely fucking ruined it. And it was a beautiful plan to take down a terrorist cell. Yeah. And that was the most interesting part of the episode. And it lasted, like, five minutes. And I was like, oh, I wanted more of that. I wanted Sherlock to pay more attention to the missing dead bodies than Irene. I feel so bad for Mycroft also because you know that that was, like, a year and a half of planning or something. Yes. And Sherlock ruins it in, like, eight seconds. Like, eight yeah. seconds and it's ruined. Yeah. Yeah. I just have this image of, like, Mycroft building beautiful, super detailed sandcastles on vacation when they're children. And Sherlock being, like, wrong and just destroying it. <laughs> like, what have you done? That's probably the most accurate, like, snapshot of their childhood ever. Just wrong. And, like, with a hose, like, gone. No sandcastle for you. This is, and this is why then Mycroft went and ate his pain. Then he ate, like, seven hot dogs because he was so sad. Yeah, but he had to eat them, like, in secret and then eat their fancy 14-course rich people meal. Because his mom had the cook slave over it all day. Like, don't disappoint mom. I love Mycroft so much. <laughs> he's so much. He's amazing. I just want him to be happy with Lestrade. That's all I want. Like... <laughs> Guys, if you're listening to this, write more Minecraft Lestrade fic. They are the cutest. You know they, they are. They need a scene together. <laughs> yeah, but we know that, like, Minecraft will, like, call Lestrade on vacation and be like, I know you're enjoying Hawaii or whatever, but I have a private jet waiting for you and I need you to go to this, like, government facility. <laughs> I, like, the problem is I can't even sufficiently make fun of you for this crack pairing anymore, given the circumstances. But, yeah. yeah. Guys, uh, in conclusion, writing. nice things should happen to Minecraft occasionally. Nice things should happen to him. He's the greatest. <laughs> he just deserves all the happiness. All right, moving right along. All right, Hound of Baskervilles. Okay, so Hound of Baskervilles, probably my favorite episode of this season. So fun. Such a fun episode. Like, I loved everything about it, except maybe the ending, which was weird. 
To start off, the fact that Sherlock is like, like inadvertently takes this case of a missing rabbit, a glow-in-the-dark missing rabbit. Like he's like, (laughs) I'm going to take two cases this week, glow-in-the-dark missing rabbit and government secrets. Because, yeah, he can take whatever cases he wants. (laughs) I did like the implicit levels of horrified boredom that he reaches. Like, that's really good for me. Like, the fact that Sherlock gets pleading emails from like small children and you can just imagine John like taking the laptop away from him. He's like, no, you are not allowed on to this girl okay i mean i have a question because it's been a couple years it's been like seven years since i've read the actual book i might be confusing this with a with a, like a poirot story but in my head john goes alone to baskerville yeah and he's finding notes that's in his true. clothes from sherlock that are like here's the answer to that question you just asked <laughs> or like letters are like all in his suitcase and he's like what it's like all the answers are already there <clears throat> i don't know I don't, I haven't read the original Baskervilles yet. Like, I have the compendium book of the Sherlock Holmes stories, but I'm working my way through them extremely slowly. Yeah. I just, okay, so it's either this Arthur Conan Doyle story or an Agatha Christie Poirot mystery where Poirot is like, I have a cold, I refuse to solve crime. I refuse (laughs) to leave my house. And he sends his friend, like, out into the countryside and, like, solves it long distance through phone and letters. He's like, no, you're an idiot. This is the killer. (laughs) P.S. I'm gonna go puke in a bucket now. (laughs) Oh my god, Sherlock would be the worst sick person alive. Oh my god, and he lives with a doctor, so he would be, like, even worse about it. Basically, John would have to just kill him. Yeah. Like, if Sherlock ever got the flu, he would just be like, no, it's not worth it, he has to die. Well, you know what, he would either have to die or, like, get rid of all communication devices, like, no internet, no cell phone. John would have to, like, call Mycroft and be like, I need to be isolated in the countryside where Sherlock can't reach me until he is better. And Mycroft (laughs) is like, I am already there. Auntie is there with a car, like, get in. (laughs) You and I are just going to spend like a week and a half in the countryside where he can't get to us. <laughs> like, fuck the English it's government. Lock is like halfway out the door onto Baker Street, like crawling out in six day old clothes. John! John! <laughs> so My bored. Nose is running. <laughs> so bored. Uh, no, but back to the actual episode. I thought Hound of Baskervilles was just a really fun, cool, like, mystery episode. It was just such a good, fun episode to watch. Like, yeah. I loved all the little, loved all the little tidbits. I liked the overall episode. I mean, like, it stretched belief, but so do all of Sherlock Holmes' mysteries, you know? And like I was surprised all the whole classical, time. Yeah. It's in the classical vein of, like, the Agatha Christie mysteries where, like, everything is, like, so perfect. It had to have happened this way in order. Like, it's it's almost like a Jonathan Creek thing where it's, like, so ridiculous. But, of course, that's the way it went down. Right. So that part didn't bother me. I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was, like, a fun episode. Like, even the stuff that was completely gratuitous. Like, why was Lestrade there? Lestrade did not actually need to be there. No, okay, this is, like... Okay, there's so many things. One, basically the plot of the episode is that on the trail of two ridiculous cases, Sherlock and John go on a gaycation together. Like, <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for bringing down the tenor of the slasher. <laughs> that's why I'm here. Somebody has to bring it down. Literally, they're like, everyone thinks they're a couple. They're staying at a, like an inn run by a gay couple who thinks that they're gay and is like, oh, sorry, we didn't have like a double bed for you, so it's two singles. And John's like, yeah, <laughs> totally. I also enjoyed the, is yours a snore question? That was nice. Thanks. Like, everything, everything is so good. And while they're on gaycation, Sherlock, like, manages to have to give John 50 bucks in, like, a fake bet. 
And John is like, hells yes, I'm keeping that 50 bucks. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Hand me all the money. This asshole doesn't care about it. I need it. <laughs> Who buys the groceries? Like, really? Yeah, but he buys the groceries with Sherlock's debit card. I bet you Sherlock doesn't have his debit card anymore. Yeah, it's I bet you John John's. has Sherlock's debit card. He probably goes to the grocery store and they're like, here you go, Mr. Holmes. And he's like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> like, no, not even. It is no longer an issue that people think that he is Sherlock Holmes. Fully accurate interpretation of the events. Yeah. And then the fact that, like, Lestrade was having an amazing, like, solo vacation. We don't know where. We don't know why. But we know that Mycroft is like, damn it. Sherlock's using my ID again. But this time to get into the equivalent of Area 51. So, <laughs> hey, Lestrade. Really Sorry. Can you go babysit my brother? I don't think John's doing a sufficient job because he's investigating people making out in cars. Like, <laughs> somebody has to go there and keep an eye on that boy. Ah, uh, that was beautiful. I was like, I mean, I was watching that and I was like, well, there's no reason Rupert Graves needs to be in this episode and have hilarious false tanner on him, except for the fact that it makes me happy. It made me super like, happy. Rupert Graves could essentially like sit in front of a screen and read his grocery list and talk about how handsome he is for an hour, and I would pay money for that. <laughs> He's so handsome. <laughs> so handsome. <laughs> Both of you guys could see the expressions we just made. We both really did so like handsome. hands on the cheeks. He's so handsome. He's so handsome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I just <laughs> how how is he so handsome? He just is. It's like, it's like a knee-jerk reaction. Anyone mentions Rupert Graves and I want to put my hands on my cheeks and I'm like, he's so handsome. Every single time this comes up, my hands automatically raise to my face like, ha, ah, so handsome. <laughs> there is no other response. He is the best silver fox that has ever silver foxed in the history of silver foxing is all I'm saying. Any Mycroft Lestrade fic that makes, or like any Sherlock fic in general that makes a silver fox joke about him like I just like die laughing for like 10 minutes and then can return to the story but first I have to be like he's so handsome and then just laugh <laughs> exactly what else was really great loved Russell Tovey in this episode who did he play he was um he was Henry oh yeah okay so here's the this is the difference between English audiences of the show and non-English audiences of the show Henry's the guy who like is the bad guy right no Henry is the client He's the little kid. Oh, grew, sorry, yeah, that guy's that's great. kid grows up into. But you know, like, the old man who is the bad guy? Yes. Okay, so I consider myself to be, like, pretty good at picking up clues while I'm watching Sherlock. And he was like, let me give you my cell number. And I was like, legit. Like, oh, yeah. The, the only reason I caught that is because the first year that I lived here, I got made fun of horrendously for referring to it as a cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I lived there, maybe I would have caught on to that. But instead, I was like, no, totally normal. Cool. I feel I actually had this interesting discussion with um, Zoe Trope about this one time where she was saying that because she, in case you guys don't know, Zoe Trope was actually the person who Brit picked Drastically Redefining Protocol. And um, she had to do it in like multiple different chunks because the story was so long. And she had to do it multiple times because, as she says, like you spend enough time watching American media sources, you stop noticing a lot of the Americanisms that drift into your conversation, like stuff that you wouldn't consider. Like, um, for example, you don't call a couch a couch. It's a sofa or a settee. But like, that's another thing that a lot of people probably like don't even notice anymore because you hear couch so frequently on television that's imported from the US. So it's like very common. I, when I was in LA, I told Lepagus that like we should pop in somewhere like completely not considering it. And it sounds completely normal to my ear. She's like, what just came out of your whore mouth? Wait, is that weird in America? <laughs> yeah, it's a non-Americanism. 
Oh, I think we say that in Canada. Never say that in the U.S. So it, it's like one of those things where like I literally only noticed that because I'd specifically been mocked for it. Right. <clears throat> but it was I thought it was really clever how they how they included that in there. I uh, if we're going to just side note while we're on this lately, I've been made fun of a lot for absorbing American accents from my many American friends who live here now. Okay. Uh, like, people at work are like, seriously, you sound like an American. You have to stop that and, like, get back your Canadian vowels. This is killing us. You sound really weird. And I was what like, are you saying that's Americanized? Just, like, anything with the letter A in it, basically. Like... <laughs> What? You're asking me an example. I, I don't even understand this. I don't notice it happening, so I can't really say. But, like, I will say something, and people at work will be like, really? Or apparently when I say, oh, my God, I'm saying, like, oh, my God. But in Canada, that's not this, like, it's a totally different sound. And I've it's lost to be like, it. Oh, my God. Or, like, what, what the fuck sound is it supposed to be? Well, the American A is, like, really nasal to us. And ours is, like, more of a, like, a lower A that is not nasal and kind of, like, longer. All right, Slash reporters, if there are any linguists among you, you may have to like Dr. Doolittle the shit because we're, what is happening? Not even Dr. Doolittle. You know what I mean. But the point is- Eliza Doolittle us because we're real confused right now. Some of my American friends are the people who run Tokyo Demons, like Leanne. And I told Leanne this because I was like, yeah, I have to stop absorbing your accent because it's her. Like I spend a lot of time with her and Rebecca and like the other Tokyo Demons people, like half of whom are American. And she was like, I've never noticed that. So Leanne was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Whenever I listen to rough cuts of Tokyo Demons, all I can hear is the super Canadian accents of everyone in the cast. Yeah. And I was like, we just sound American to to ourselves now. But to you, we sound like... Super Canadian to me still. Well... That's a bit of a relief, at least. Gotta keep my heritage. Insert several cruel jokes here. (laughs) We should discuss the major issue in Hound of Baskervilles, which was a great case and a great mystery as a framework for John and Sherlock's developing friendship stroke relationship, which the, the coffee thing... Oh my god. Because this was an episode that had a lot of really interesting, somewhat controversial things happening between the two of them, where we've got (laughs) that great fight, like the first time we see them having a fight on screen where, I mean, other than the one that you had in Great Game, right, which was a fantastic fight, but I think it was one that was more like people who didn't know each other that well. Right. Uh, this is like a their fight. real domestic. Yeah, this is definitely a we know each other's bullshit, but it still irritates me fight. Um, and then you have the coffee drugging the co- well, thinking that he's drugging the coffee. <laughs> and that experiment in the research facility, which hand wave. It's like so many hands waving because <laughs> I have so many thoughts and feelings. Oh my god. Okay, so one, John, seriously, are you stupid this season? There's no way Sherlock is making you a cup of coffee. Like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> There's <laughs> always an ulterior motive there. Like, always. But see, here's the question. Is there? Because, okay, I've always, this is perhaps just me in the way that I view television, right? Like, I always view the episodes that we see as the high or low points in any of the characters' lives, right? You don't look at the mundane, everyday, boring stuff that they do because you look at the most interesting things, right? So, I mean, like, maybe it's just the way that, like, I interpret friendship and the way that, like, I've related with my past roommates, but, like, I could not, like, I don't know that I could, like, grow to love and care for someone the way that they obviously love and care for each other, whether or not you view that as a slash relationship. 
if Sherlock was truly that much of a shit, like, all the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I would really struggle with that. Like, when everyone was like, no, John, never believe in the coffee, I'd be like, does Sherlock really never do anything that's, like, fundamentally human to, I don't know, I struggle with this. He does nice things, but I just don't think of Sherlock as someone who, one, cares about how you make coffee enough to know, and two, would be like, hey, John, good morning. Like, we know that he doesn't know anything about the solar system or how it works. Like, he doesn't care who the prime minister is. I just think that, like, making coffee, Sherlock would probably see as beneath him. There's no way that he would wake up one morning or have been awake all night and be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make John a lovely breakfast and a cup of coffee. I'm, I'm sure that he does nice things for him, but I don't think that coffee is one of them. Maybe. Maybe you're right. I guess I guess I was just, like, really kind of surprised by how everyone was like, wow. I was like, but how could you? Because like, those little things add up. Do you know what I mean? Right. But I guess never see the little things that Sherlock must actually do. Well, that, and I think, like, for Sherlock, a little thing is usually a grand gesture for anyone else, right? Like, first episode, he barely knows him, but he's like, I'm going to fix that psychosomatic limp. Yeah. Like, (laughs) that's just, like, a thing that I'm going to do for my new roommate. Because why not? And John is like, cool, I'm going to kill a dude for you. Like, they're not little gestures people. Like, I think John is at his happiest when he... Things are all grand gestures. And when he's unhappiest, when we see him unhappy, is usually when he gets caught up about things like, do we have milk? Which, like, to anyone else is a little thing that you need to have on a daily basis, but for them is unimportant. Valid. All right, that's fair enough. No, thank you. Now I feel better about that. Because I was... I was filled with, I was filled with feels, like confused feels about that. Because, I mean, if nothing else, oh, just to clarify, because I think that there's some people who uh, follow my Twitter, follow my writing, like listen to this podcast who don't know. I do not ship John and Sherlock romantically. Yeah, which is totally (laughs) fine because they're an awesome platonic domestic pair. Or if you're like me, you want Sherlock to bone John hard all the time. Where Or you're like me, where you just want them to, like, love each other and be the best of friends and to be, like, the greatest love of one another's lives, but, like, possibly not in a penis-touchy sort of way. I'm actually good with both ways. I just prefer that there be some penis-touching. Yeah, and weirdly, I prefer for there not to be, and it's but a strange one. <laughs> and we've both read things in the other's preferences. Yeah, I mean, like, I will cheerfully read, I will cheerfully read, like, straight-up Slash about them. And I will totally Uh, read, like, asexual, platonic, like, John is straight, Sherlock has no interest in penises or anything. Yeah, I think it all, like, in a weird way, they put it best on the show, it's all fine. Yeah, it is, it's It's all all fine. fine. It's all fine. Um, But what wasn't fine for me was, like, this momentary, like, shock of, like, especially reinforced by the experiment that Sherlock did, where I was like... such a shit like please do not make me think that the one person that you are actually demonstrably good to is someone who you are not demonstrably good to like do not start this house wilson bullshit with me okay here i'm gonna play devil's advocate to you oh god <laughs> yeah you hate I it don't have the strength of so fragile after this season okay the way i think about that experiment because that experiment action is horrifying and like a terrible so thing horrible i can't believe he did it like That's terrible. But in Sherlock's defense, he knows that John is at his best and happiest when he's in danger. That's what John John likes. John does seem happy in danger during that. No, 
Right. When he's in danger, he doesn't seem happy, but that's what keeps him, like, sane. That kind of bullshit. And while I think that this is definitely crossing the line, in Sherlock's mind, it shouldn't be that big a deal, because the things that make John happy, the reason that he's, like, passing for normal and managing to live with Sherlock are things like chasing people with guns down alleyways and, like, tracking a giant monster dog through the marsh. That's what he likes. I don't know. I still, I, I ultimately like don't like that. I mean, I, I think it's accurate to the character that he would do it because there are a couple of different things that feed into this, right? Like it makes sense that John would pick Sherlock for this experiment. Number one, because it's a crime of opportunity. Like he can definitely get, like John is going to be there. He can definitely do this experiment on John. Secondly, he also knows that John Watson is like the steadiest, least likely to be hysterical, like not given to ludicrous, like flights of imagination. So like if he can somehow verify that John is like having a crazy pants episode as a result of whatever, like that's going to mean more than if he gets someone else. But at the same time, Sherlock Holmes noted you need to be donkey punched for that action that was not cool that was not cool at all oh god donkey punching is not okay don't do it neither is locking your roommate into a research lab and convincing him he's about to be eaten by a crazy giant dog at least John had a cage to hide in yeah that makes it better Makes it better than, like, you think you're having a good time and then you get punched in the back of the head. No, still deserves to be donkey punched. (sighs) Disagree. (laughs) You should refuse, in fact. (laughs) You refuse the donkey punching? Yeah, yeah. Alright, fine, whatever. Yeah, but that episode was, like, weirdly charming. I mean, ultimately, like, I loved Baskervilles. I was lucky enough to get to watch it lying on uh, Lepagus's floor in L.A. And she was a big weenie about it. (laughs) She would be. I yeah. love her. <laughs> she hid she hid under the covers for a lot of it. Um, oh, too many feelings. No, I don't think it was. I think she was like legitimately scared of like the imaginary ghost dog. Seriously? It appeared to be the case. Lopagus. I know. Come I know. On. It was it was pretty undignified. <laughs> but yeah, I just really loved that episode. I loved a lot of things about that episode. It was just a fun episode. Now I want to rewatch it. I love that John spots Morse code. And at yes. first I'm like, oh my god, he's totally onto something. Like legit, he's gonna notice something and Sherlock is like too busy being a dick to notice and he's gonna like solve the case. No, old people having sex in cars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Has anyone, internet, has anyone written the story where John and Sherlock go back to the dogging point yet? Because you guys should. I'm not even into that, but like you should totally write that story. Totally write that story. Oh, so good for me. Oh god, you know what? The only thing that would have made that funnier is if John like finds the cars and it's Mycroft and Lestrade. Why? Why? I'm the greatest. No, like, okay. This is definitely a departure from discussion, but like, let's all agree that if you had to come up with two people who are most unlikely to have sex in a car in a field so that other people could come watch them have sex in a car in a, in a field, it would be <laughs> Minecraft and Lestrade. Yeah, exactly. Why would <laughs> I'm not saying it makes sense. I'm saying it's fan fiction. Someone out there is probably already writing it. There's a lot of bad fic out there, and sometimes I like to encourage it. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just wish you were wrong on this case. <laughs> I just wish you were wrong. I'm never wrong. I, I think that we've dallied enough in the safe harbor of... Uh, Baskerville. Baskerville and Belgravia, and I think we have to go into the dark, sad, gaping wound. That is it doesn't start sad. It starts hilarious. It does start hilarious. Like... 
I'm sorry. I have to say, that opening is so great for me. I love that, like, John is totally fine with people calling Sherlock all these ridiculous names until they're like, John Watson, confirmed bachelor. <laughs> and then he's furious. But remember, it doesn't actually start great because it starts with that crushing 45 seconds where John is in his therapist's office and she's like forcing him to say it and i okay before we go any further in this episode i have to say like martin freeman fucking tore de force in this episode oh right my god He's... i started crying 30 seconds into reichenbach falls and i and i managed to stop for a little while in the beginning but then i just started going again he just, was like a tornado of emotions just the way that I felt hollowed out by how completely crushed he was, was astonishing. Like, that 30 seconds or that 45 second bit in the beginning, tragic. And then we go into sort of like, it's a weird like montage scene of their ordinary domestic bliss. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That is kind of the ludicrous charm of their regular lives. Like, they solve strange little cases. And Sherlock is like, why? Why am I here for this? I just want to go away and, like, change into my dressing gown and not wear this stupid hat. And John is, like, having trolley lols on the side. It's so charming. It's so them. Yeah. So them. The writing in that episode was really good. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this, on one hand, we should pause and exonerate Stephen Thompson, who wrote Blind Banker. And which we all were like, that's the worst episode. That guy's a shitty writer. And we were so worried. Yeah, that clearly was not him being a shitty writer. That was just like a poorly constructed episode. Because Reichenbach, he also wrote, and it was brilliant. Yes. It was so good. Round of applause, dude. You redeemed yourself entirely. You can't see it, but I actually just did a camp counselor round of applause. I'm doing a library clap. (laughs) I used to do library fist pumps. Um... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I said it. I'm sorry, do do your normal fist pumps require a lot of sound? You never know. Yes. (laughs) Yes. There's usually some hooting and some holler. You're such a woo girl. I am a woo girl. Uh, I'm also like a yeah girl. Nice. So, I mean, where do you even begin with Reichenbach? I mean, we had amazing, amazing characters and, like, amazing and amazing acting by Andrew Scott, who played Moriarty, and Lou Brilly, who played Molly, who broke my heart, like, three different times oh throughout God. the course of this episode. She was astounding. Um, she was so fantastic. That scene in Bart's where she's talking to Sherlock was so... There's something so crushingly, like, honest and sad about her being like, I don't count. Oh, so, so heartrending. And not just that, but, like, they tell her flat out that, like, every time she dates someone, it's basically the end of the world, so she should just stop dating. Like, ever. <laughs> They're like, you you can't see men because you will cause terrorist threats, so. Basically, I think that, I think what that actually means is that John and Sherlock should just vet all of her dates. That would be amazing. They're like her Would that not be amazing? That would be the greatest. It would be, well, it would be terrible for her, but it would be funny for us. But everyone's so fantastic in this episode. And I love, I love that part of the reason that Moriarty got to Sherlock Croft made a mistake. Because we've had throughout the series the humanizing elements of Sherlock Holmes, right? Like we know that he's in not infallible and we also i mean they've established this in the television show but like canonically mycroft is smarter than sherlock so it's nice to have that moment of like completely humanizing humbling of mycroft as well 
Totally. And the fact that, like, his weakness is his feelings for his brother. Which is hilarious, given the conversation they had in the hallway. Totally. About Irene. He's like, oh, these people and their dumb feelings, like, ruining their lives. And then later, literally almost takes down the entire world because he cares about his brother so much. I know! It's it's beautiful in a deeply fucked up way. Can I also say one of my favorite, it's so dumb, but it's like a 10 second scene in the episode where Lestrade is at his desk with like his feet up with like a chocolate biscuit in one hand and a cup of tea in the other. And he's like, not my division. I fucking love that. That was like the greatest. It was so the greatest. And then him and Sally Donovan like driving like fucking like lunatics. And they're swearing. (laughs) Oh, so great for me. It's like Lestrade's worst day at work ever. (laughs) and he's had some bad days like he's the guy who works with sherlock (laughs) yeah this was the worst well astrata's had some really like i have to say that was one of the funniest things to me is like how would i react if someone had broken into the tower of london i'd be like what how like seriously seriously but how 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 did you break into the fucking tower of london i mean but i come on guys you know what i thought was interesting yeah really but you know what's interesting about the way that Moriarty breaks through the glass at the Tower of London there's an app for that (laughs) well aside from that but the fact that he like sticks some chewing gum and a diamond on the glass and like battering rams it yeah and the same week or like close enough white collar comes back and Elizabeth uses a diamond to break through some fucking glass yeah it's true. But I mean, that's the, that's the thing that we all know, that that's like the only thing strong enough to break anything. I mean, obviously I would try that, except I don't have any fucking diamonds. <laughs> yeah. I only have pearls. <sighs> A pearl necklace? Yes. <laughs> Actually, yes. I'm just gonna let that hang there. <laughs> Shut up. It was a present. Yeah, it was. <laughs> no, not like that. <laughs> you have to move on. <laughs> I hate you. yeah I mean it was all great it was all great but I mean ultimately it comes down to the fact that that phone conversation on the top of Bart's and the graveyard scene oh my god nearly killed me nearly killed me if anyone had ever questioned whether or not Martin Freeman deserved his BAFTA yeah exactly go punch yourself in the face Martin Freeman deserves every BAFTA. He, like, basically everyone who's ever gotten a BAFTA should just take their BAFTA and, like, mail it to Martin Freeman. And just, like, cross out their name and write his on it. Yeah, in Sharpie. Like, right now, Martin Freeman. Because he deserves that BAFTA more than you do. He absolutely does. Oh, my God. Like, that, I, that phone call, I, I can't even. Like, I can't. Here's the magic. So, you messaged me and you were like, oh my God, I was like crying. I couldn't stop crying. I had all the feelings. And my response, I believe, was the only reason I didn't cry is because I put myself into Asperger's mode for like 30 minutes. <laughs> yes. I think that my response was like, I wish I had Asperger's mode because I'm dehydrated. I've cried so much. I was just like 100% analysis and like feelings can wait. I can like process the feelings at a later time. Oh my God. It was still painful. Well, give us your analysis, and then I'll give you all of my feels. Okay. (laughs) Oh, God. So, one, we know that Molly is in on it. Yes. On the fake death. So she probably organized things. Uh, Two, probably the homeless network. There's a conveniently placed truck exactly in front of where Sherlock falls. Right. There's balloons, and there's a bunch of bystanders who prevent John from looking at the body right away. Which is interesting, because... 
nobody else is stopped from looking at the body, right? Everyone just knows to stop him. Right, and the body is immediately removed by what looks like hospital staff, but is probably Homeless Network wearing scrubs that Molly gave them. Right. Like, either. <clears throat> interesting. That's... Well, interesting other thing is that, I can't remember who which one it was, Gatiss or Moffat, had an interview post-Reichenbach where he says everyone's talking about the jump at the hospital, mm-hmm. but everyone has missed a vital clue where Sherlock does something very out of character. And now I'm like, God damn it. He throws What's his phone onto the roof. But see, that's not necessarily out of character. He says that he does something that's like a vital clue that's very out of character. And I was like, well, he does a number of things that are out of character. He cries. He has feelings. He tells Molly that she does count. Um, I've run out. Like, I just, I, I don't know what it is. Like, I'm very bad with mysteries, basically. <laughs> well, I just think, like, the phone thing to me is very interesting. I know it's it's probably unimportant in the grand, grand scheme of things, but he always has the phone with him, and he's going to commit fake suicide. But essentially, like, if you're going to jump off a building, why would you right. care if your phone gets smashed? if you're actually going to die. But he knows he's not going to die, so he has to throw the phone back because he's going to need it later. But for what? I don't know. I think that one's... I don't know that that one really holds up because he can't keep the phone with him. He can change the SIM card. No, he can't keep the phone with him. Like, if you're going to fake your death Mm. effectively, you can't keep your phone. Like, just get a new phone. Maybe there's something on it for John. I don't know. Someone else... I, uh, I was trolling the tumblers. Someone else pointed out, remember the camera that was in their apartment? Oh, like, yeah. Establish the camera. They establish the fact that he can get the video feed on the computer and then it's never seen from again. So that could be part of it. Someone else pointed out that a trick for killing your pulse, like if you want it to... If fall you, under the elbow, uh, under the armpit. Yeah, tennis ball under the elbow. And he was playing with a tennis ball. But that could be, that could be like an homage, like 17 different things. I like. Guess. But they did that on uh, The Mentalist this week. Nice. He like uh, fakes killing someone. So there's just... There's just, like, a lot of different... The one thing that I did notice that they kept doing, and I can't tell whether or not this was, like, um, actually part of the mystery or one of those sort of, like, narrative echoes that, like, writers and filmmakers really, like, building into their stories just for the people who obsessively check this sort of thing, is that they kept emphasizing hands. So they kept... If you rewatch the episode from about midway through... hmm? Mm. I was going to say, when John is checking to see if it is Sherlock and if he's dead, they show his hands more than his face. Yeah, but they do show his face. Yeah. Also show John clutching his hand and trying to take a pulse. Right. But if you watch from about midway through the episode on, like, there are weird lingering shots on Sherlock's hands. And when I rewatched the episode, I couldn't tell whether or not the hands were different when John is taking the pulse. And I think that they also do a lingering shot on, fuck, Moriarty's hands at one point. But it wasn't, like, I couldn't distinguish enough. And I can't tell whether that's, like, one of those, like, narrative echoes because it's, like, pretty to look at or interesting to emphasize or if it's like an actual plot detail like and to be frank i don't think that they want to set it up in a manner where you can discover the truth of the mystery right right because they're not obligated and they weren't obliged and there's no reason that they would have shown all the pieces that you necessarily need to figure it out at the end of this season like i believe 100 percent that when series three starts up the first scene of it is going to be like whatever like the scene at the hospital from a different angle or something which will provide some like oh my god of course clue it's not in their interest to give their hand away like it's like all the power is on them like the camera angles the writing like the editing all of it is in there yeah it's 
going to be like a leverage moment, right? Where you see them sort of putting the con together, but you don't get the connective fiber until later. So I think we can make ourselves crazy trying to figure it out. But the issue isn't so much the mystery of how did Sherlock survive? The issue is more like the whole point of that was just... It's very much like an echo to the very first episode where Lestrade is standing in the doorway saying like, because Sherlock Holmes is a great man. And if one day we're very lucky, he'll become a good one. And this episode is Sherlock Holmes becoming a good man. Yes. Oh, it's so beautiful. I'm so sad still. I'm like, it genuinely comes down to like, I, okay, so I watched the episode by myself, which was bad. The day I landed back in England, crying hysterically, right? It was a terrible idea. Why would you do that? I don't know. It's, it's like the way that I hate myself, right? And then the next day, I watched it with my friend. And she basically spent the entire time laughing at me when I was weeping for the latter 15 minutes of the episode. She's like, you know Sherlock is alive. Like, he's not dead. Why are you crying? Why are you sad? And I was like, I'm not actually sad because he's dead. I'm sad because John thinks he's dead. And because and John I'm has sad... experienced all of this. Yeah, because his heart is so obviously broken. Like, all I need to hear at this point is Martin Freeman saying the words, I was so alone and I'm gone. Like, yeah, no, God. Like, feeling it coming. You sent me that fucking vid. Oh, God. <laughs> and I was, I think I watched it at work with my headphones. And oh, I was like, no. why would you do this to me? I'm at my desk. Um, we'll provide a link on the show page, but some brilliant, cruel fucker made a vid to Sherlock seasons one and two to the opening sequence music from Up, which is a ruinous combination of factors. Like, I've not even seen that movie, and I was like crying. Like all I had to hear was the opening little tones of that song, and I was like gone, <laughs> just gone, just gone. That's tears, it. tears streaming down my face. I don't know. I don't know. Where do you think, I mean, where do you think we come back to? Is it three years? Does John really have to live with this for three years? I don't think it's going to be three years because things move faster just based on the fact that we have all this technology now that they didn't have at the time. Yes. Like everything in the new Sherlock moves faster than in the books. Yes. So I think it could be like a year. It could be a couple months. I would say probably a year. Right. Um, partly because they want them to be in the same year that you're watching it, right? Yeah, and those assholes have to be all talented and awesome and make like 17 movies in between this and the next series. Yeah, they're making all sorts of things. Yeah, which are going to be weird to watch. <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the fact that they're going to be in The Hobbit together. Oh, yeah. And, and Star and, Trek. And then Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be in fucking Star Trek. And which, Martin Freeman will just be collecting BAFTAs. Yeah, he'll just, like, be casually walking down the street, and every BAFTA winner he passes has to give him their BAFTA. Like, it will be time-consuming. But, you know, man's got to do what a man's got to do. It's true. I mean, when you earn them, you really earn them. Do you think um, Ian McKellen has a BAFTA? <laughs> I don't think Ian McKellen has to give anybody a BAFTA. I think Ian McKellen just has to, like, give Martin Freeman one of the eight twinks that he was dating. Oh, I was going mean, to say, like, well, they should just start a club that is like, our BAFTAs are better than yours. <laughs> exactly. And they, like, <laughs> hang out in whatever that club is that Mycroft likes to spend time in, the Diogenes Club. Yeah, the Diogenes Club. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, it's beautiful. So good. <laughs> I, oh man, I'm just, I'm really at once 
curious as to how they're gonna bring it back like what season three holds and at once like I don't know if I can handle it (laughs) I'm not really curious like all I can think about is uh the version of this that we saw before the same one with the really good Irene Adler where like Sherlock is in stupid disguises like following John all the time (laughs) like spying on him and when they finally reunite it's like like they might as well have been married (gasps) So beautiful. So beautiful. It also is an interesting kind of commentary, especially since we've got like multiple versions of Sherlock Holmes like simultaneous right now, right? Oh my god, I just realized what? he's gonna keep that camera in their flat, okay? Oh, to spy on John the whole time? Well, aside aside from that, the assassins had access to the thing, right? Which probably means that Moran has access to the feed. Yeah, which is interesting because we haven't heard anything about him yet. Right, but when Sherlock comes back, the whole point is that Moran needs to kill him. And in the old school one, he puts like a mannequin up that looks like him and it's on like tracks or something like oh, all alone true. Style. Yeah, yeah, in the in the room, in the building cross. Right. This time they could do a combination of like a mannequin and a fake feed on that camera. Oh, do you know what would be bro- incredibly cruel? What? If when Sherlock came, this is, okay, guys, be really grateful that I'm not on the writing staff because I would do this 1000% because <laughs> um, I'm an asshole, is if Sherlock came back for series three and the end of series three is Sherlock Holmes revealing that he's alive. Oh, you are so mean. It would be so good, though. Just think about the dramatic tension where you have, like, Sherlock running around taking down Moriarty's network and chasing Sebastian Moran, and you occasionally flash to these moments of John living in London, having his own minor adventures, and the tiny ways in which he and Sherlock just consistently either almost miss each other or Sherlock has to duck away to give, to, like, resist the temptation to, like, give in reveal himself and say like stop being sad this is really annoying i don't like it when you're depressed and you get two episodes and then the third one is where sherlock comes back i would hate you so much you would love the shit out of it don't even lie i would love hate you so much (laughs) it's my dream in life one day for someone to like take a fish shaking gif of someone and just write prue at the bottom the way that people (laughs) Like, that is my dream in life. I would like, I would feel like all of my life's goals have been completed if someone had felt the urge to do that one day. I'll just make a note in my calendar for your birthday next year. (laughs) Oh, man. But no, that would be so good. Please don't do that, guys. Dear Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss, I know that I just said that that would be brilliant and fantastic narrative storytelling. Please don't actually do that. But your other option. My heart can take it. Mark Gatiss, Stephen Moffat, if you're listening, she lives in London. You could totally hire her. Please. Oh, well, you should hire me. Like, I would be the best tea boy ever. But um, (laughs) please don't actually do what I just suggested because that would be, like, ultra mean. And I don't think I could handle that unless I was, like, the god playing with these characters. Like, that's the only way I could handle that level of cruelty. So wait, what you're saying is you can be cruel to everyone else, but if someone does it to you, it's like not cool. No, no, I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying that, okay, so it's it's like how I can do completely horrible things to the characters and it doesn't bother me because I know how it's going to end. Right. It, I can't handle it when it's, when I'm like a, a reader or a viewer of it because like uh, the uncertainty is killing me. Like if I didn't have the certainty... I would be falling apart. And, like, if I had the certainty, I would be okay. Oh, see, like, how right now I have the certainty. Like, I have, like, no questions about next season. I'm just like, yep, it'll be great. I'm just like, I don't want to cry anymore. (laughs) Like, I've cried so much. 
Asperger's mode, it just saves me so often. I just need an Asperger's mode. All I have is, like, feels mode and, like, ultra feels mode. Those are my only two modes. Yeah, sorry, pal. I think you have to have Asperger's in order to lock into Asperger's mode. I should just make you, like, mentally sneeze on me next time I'm in Toronto so I can contract it. Yeah, we have, like, hive mind transference of all kinds of physical illnesses, so... We may as well get the Asperger's going. Yeah, you should just become more Asperger's-y, and I will start having more feelings. Yeah, just to give you guys some context on that comment, which was, like, incredibly strange, (laughs) MK's body apparently takes, like, weird pheromonal triggers from mine and just, like, decides to, like, mimic illnesses and or biochemical processes that I'm having. She can induce a period in me, even if I've already had a period, like, two days before. (laughs) And over a distance of the ocean, she got (laughs) sick and I puked at work, despite being fine. (laughs) Like, just puked was, and was like, oh, God, I hate you. <laughs> that was, like, the greatest series of chat logs ever. It was just, like, <laughs> you disappeared, and you were like, oh, God, I just threw up a little. And I was like, oh, shit, sorry about that. I was most definitely puking. <laughs> <laughs> We've been linked psychically. Uh, <sighs> this is, like, this is like nature trying to force me to be your guide. Yeah. I have a couple of guide candidates, but nature likes you best. Yeah, even though I think that we can both agree that you and I are fighting that reality. (laughs) Well, I'm not saying I think we would actually be a good pair like that. Yeah, I think that I think it would be bad um, (laughs) and we would become hermits. Well, no, not necessarily. I go out and with with a guide, I could probably go out more often because you would be like, turn that down to one. (laughs) Valid. And I'd be like, oh. I have a guide now that works. All right, MK. Do we have recs for this week other than just like my tear stained tissues littering the entire, I don't know, the entire geographic area of East London? All right, so I've got two recommendations uh, post Reichenbach. Both are actually slash, so you guys are in luck this week. Oh, you know what? I'm going to give you three recs because I think post Reichenbach we need as much happy as possible. So we'll have two happy, one sad. Sad one first is. Minds Like Ours Dream Up by Black Eyed Girl. It was the first post-Reichenbach story that I kind of like managed to get through and like feel strongly enough that I felt the urge to recommend it because it's fantastic. It's really painful, but it's also really painfully good. Okay, so this is John in the aftermath where he's not going to disappear underneath this crushing weight of guilt. He's going to look into all these questions that have been left unanswered. So it's a story about him compiling the case, compiling the evidence against this hideous lie that's been perpetuated about Sherlock Holmes. It's really, really well done. Uh, As I said in my recommendation on Pinboard, two tear-soaked thumbs up. Excellent stuff. Everyone should give this a read. One of the most satisfying stories that I've read post-Reichenbach. And now, once you've cried yourself dehydrated off of that, the two stories that are going to make you feel much better. Number one is one of my favorite sorts of things is like a reinterpretation of source material is some brilliant person named Deductism has cut together a trailer called Sherlock in Love. And it's a trailer for BBC BBC Sherlock if it was a romantic comedy. It's amazing. It is so awesome. (laughs) 
It's the greatest. It is so incredibly charming. And like, it's it's beautifully done. It's very, very well cut. It's really short, but it just, you watch it and you cannot wipe the smile off of your face because it's so perfect. Yeah. MK and I both have watched this many times, haven't we, at this point? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I need to put it on my phone. <laughs> and then this one, uh, the last recommendation I have is called And Stand There at the Edge of My Affection by Colored Ink. Which is not post-Reichenbach, it's just random BBC Sherlock. The story was so cute, it hurts me. Sherlock starts asking John for assistance writing a love letter, because he's never written one, and presumably John has. And you sort of see it coming from like a million miles away, but I have to say that the end result love letter is like the sweetest thing that I've ever read in my entire life. It is by no means a traditional love letter. It's super it's cute, so, though. It's exquisitely, perfectly in character for Sherlock. And one of the closing lines of it, oh my god, I just felt all of my internal organs liquefy in love. <laughs> it was... I, and I quote my recommendation on Pinboard. The end result love letter is the sweetest love letter I've ever read in my entire fucking life and made me want to go frolic in a field of baby lambs and rabbits, even though I hate both. <laughs> you have to read this story. Amazing. It is so cute. Parts of you will die reading it. <laughs> it's so worth it. Because <laughs> that's the endorsement you want. Parts that of you will die. <laughs> die from cuteness. Yeah, I know. Okay, I have three Sherlock Rex. None of them have anything to do with Reichenbach, so they're all happy, so you can enjoy them. <laughs> the first one is the Compatible Damage series by Branwyn, mm. which, so the first, I'm going to call it, yeah, the first story is really long, really detailed, and beautiful, beautiful. It's um, a Girl John AU, but this Girl John is so real and so enthralling, and, like, you just identify with her, and you under, like, it's just so plausible. Yes. And she almost like makes Sherlock more human by accident, which is just perfect. 1000% behind this endorsement. Yeah. Love this story so much. I tagged this and I got messages from like five of my friends immediately being like, holy fuck, I'm reading that right now. It is the greatest. Sequel is in progress. Sequel is in progress and just as good as the first one. And I think we'll even like fix things from the first half. Oh my God. It's like, just, it rivals Mesmeranda's Girl John, I yeah, think, definitely. in terms of how good it is. It's so good. So good. Love it. The next one is actually also a story by Colored Ink. She's clearly talented. Uh, called Lacuna, which is really a beautiful love story where John has an accident and gets amnesia. And he wakes up thinking that he's still in Afghanistan. And like, you know, once people have explained to him, this all like the stuff, the amnesia and the accident and people explaining things to him happens before the story even starts, which I love because she just gets right into the heart of the action. But people <laughs> are like, you know, this is the year. This is where you are. You live with this crazy guy named Sherlock. And, you know, you work part time in a clinic now. They basically explain his life to him. And then they're like, but we can't tell you anything else. You should just live your life and try to remember things by experiencing them. And he comes home and Sherlock will like kind of redo some of the deductions that he did when they first met as a test. But the other thing is that Sherlock is clearly and has been forever just in love with John and John has never noticed before <laughs> because he's trying so hard to figure out his past, like everything that's happened before now. Yeah. He jumps to the conclusion that they were in a relationship and Sherlock, despite knowing that it is a shitty thing to do, is like, yes, and we didn't tell anyone. <laughs> um which you like it's not funny it sounds funny it's not it's actually no, it's, it's terrible it's really <laughs> serious and upsetting but yeah. like obviously it has a happy ending it's beautiful and you can totally understand why he does it like yeah. in the same situation i might have done the same thing no 
I'm sorry, I'm a terrible person. Holy crap, did you just say that you have the capacity to dupecon someone on that level? They were already really in love, they just hadn't no! admitted it yet. No! Revoked! Rejected. No. Okay. Uh, And my third story is Primark Scuffed and Oxford Polished. Oh, which I love! Yeah, it is adorable. It's a Mycroft Lestrade story, which is about them meeting for the first time and sort of becoming friends and then, like, gradually romantic partners, I guess. And it's just, like, it's pre-slash, but it's, like, it's only pre-slash in the fact that, like, the relationship really starts the moment that the story ends. It's super cute, and it's everything that I love about Mycroft Lestrade stories. Like, it's stellar. You're gonna love it. Oh, I love that pairing, and I have zero, like, I... Until Hounds of Baskervilles, like, we had zero canonical reference to Lestrade, <laughs> even knowing that Sherlock had a brother. And now you're like, oh, fuck. Now I have to do it. Now it's it's almost like, you know what? Here's my theory. My theory is that Mark Gatiss went on the internet after the first season of Sherlock and decided, like, well, if the internet thinks that I should ship myself with Rupert Graves, I guess I'm going to have to ship myself with Rupert Graves. To be fair, it's canonical that he's like, well... Rupert Graves is a silver fox. I I feel like it's canonical for the universe that they believe that Rupert Graves is a silver fox. And frankly, guys, if I was in a position where I could shit myself with Rupert Graves, I would do nothing but shit myself with Rupert Graves. (laughs) The entire Sherlock Series 3 script would just be like me lying in bed with Rupert Graves. Sorry, no plots allowed. (laughs) That is exactly, yeah, I would do the same thing. I would be like, well... Uh, Rupert Graves, you are now my love interest because the internet said so. And you'd yeah. be like, oh, well, okay, whatever. <laughs> he's a professional, and um, and he's such a professional that he's just going to make out with me the entire time we're filming. Yeah. For professional reasons, Totally obviously. for professional reasons. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, legit, right? Right? I think so. Digital fist bump long distance, right? Total. Mm-hmm. For realsies. Amazing. <laughs> wraps us up for this week okay it's really good to be back yeah I'm really I feel like we're back in the groove yeah I have to say that like even though I'm sure many of you believed our long hiatus was spiteful like we missed doing the slash report like crazy yeah which is like kind of embarrassing I would be like oh it's Saturday you know what I should be doing recording slash report yeah oh it's Sunday you know what I should be doing frantically coding the page because yep. <laughs> we're about to post it we forgot to do that i've had a lot of fun being able to see people on the weekend but yeah. i'm like but that's not what the weekend is for the weekend is for slash report like that's what i do yeah and i've had a lot of fun traveling tons of places but like i'm over that now <laughs> now you're done and you can just get yeah. back to sitting around on skype all the time exactly i mean we did spend part of today skype cooking at each other so that was excellent <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, Skype cooking is necessary. Skype cooking is obvious. Well, it's necessary for me to make sure you're not setting your kitchen on fire. Yeah, you know what? There was a moment when we were cooking, and I debated, like, going down the hall and taking my garbage out and being like, hey, just tell me if my kitchen catches on fire. And, and then like, we're like, oh, wait. <laughs> you're in England. I can't. I can't do that. MK also confessed when we were earlier Skype cooking. And sometimes she's like, oh, maybe I should just do the dishes for her. And then she remembered she's in Canada. <laughs> it's really easy to forget it's true it's true sometimes i'm just like oh i should go talk to i should go pop into emily's to oh wait oh wait (laughs) exactly denied the atlantic ocean says denied denied yeah (laughs) Alrighty, folks it's been a blast we'll see 
week. We have some fantastic shit coming up this season. Um, we'll be talking with science fiction authors. We'll be talking with your favorite fan fiction authors. We'll be covering Podfix as requested. We'll be talking about vidding. So stay tuned. We've got tons of great stuff coming up. And uh, we're glad to be back. Bye. Bye. section you sent me there and I was like no (laughs) is that why he's sad or is it because he's in this story it's the universe is sad because of this story oh god